It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woo-hoo! This week, starring special guest star, Mr. Rob Shirelli. Yeah! I know why I have to hold that up. You know, that's the audience. They could be down there and you'd still hear them. Anyway, welcome, Rob. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to be here. Welcome, you guys. One more time. Welcome, Taxi yep. TV. It's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah. You miss me? I do. <laughs> we live like four houses away from each other, and I miss them. Um, yeah, the road rally's coming up uh, November 3rd through the 6th, and Rob is... What would you call that, a pre-election road rally? Yeah, that's what I would call it, a pre-election road rally. <laughs> get, the, uh, get the chat room open. There you guys are. Hello, everybody. McGayeth, Mary Band, Peter, Cass, Ken... Element, Andy, Mark Hemley, Robbie Hancock, MJ, Wendy Landers, Mark Doyle. Hello, everybody. I saw some new people before we went live gathering in the chat room. So welcome to the show. If you've never seen one before, it's a lot of fun. Pretty darn educational. So uh, while I've got Rob sitting here, I've printed out his homepage. For those of you who may not have looked at the credits... He's worked with Christina, Will Smith, Erica Campbell, Pink, Stevie Wonder, Leanne Rimes, Mary Mary, Jonathan McReynolds, Charles Jenkins, Yolanda Adams, uh, Three Winans Brothers, Coolio, Ashante, Ashanti, En Vogue, uh, Ice Cube, New Boys, Keiko or Kiko Mitsui? Keiko. Keiko, Keiko Mitsui. Yeah. Jermaine Jackson, Madonna, Kirk Franklin, Charlie Wilson, Andre Day, The Walls Group, Lorber Loeb and Harp, uh, Rizzle Kicks. Janet Jackson, Aaliyah, Hillary, Duff, J.C. McCartney, Ricky Martin, The Corps, Ray Charles, American Idol, Luther, The Temptations, Quincy, and Casey and JoJo, and cannot have the show with Rob sitting here without mentioning Wanna Be Happy with Kirk Franklin spent 45 weeks at number one. 45 weeks. Who does that? Kirk Franklin. <laughs> um, that was something... And I've got to tell you, I've listened to the song over and over because it plays every time I go to your website. So whenever I miss you, I go to your website and uh, stare at your okay. face. But the background vocal sound on mm. that record is stupendous. So for those of you who... I'd play it, except then YouTube would kill the show because it's copyrighted material. Um, so tell everybody how you got that background vocal sound because they sound like they're right here but yet they're out there at the same time. They're smooth as silk, yet very present, but not brittly so. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, vocals are, as everybody should know, is the most important thing, really. Uh, so with vocals, the background vocals on that record, you know, half or three quarters or more was done by the singer and the initial recording of it. I mean, they got it pretty far. It sounded that, I mean, like really good when you, so they recorded Well, I don't want to minimize anything I did. I don't <laughs> want to do that. Not. But, but so they recorded it That's hilarious. <laughs> but I don't want to take all the credit either. <laughs> but they yeah. recorded the vocals at home and then you just got not it Not at mix? home. No, they or... did it in the studio. I'm sure of it. And the, the choir and the, the musicians and the producers that he uses, you know, they just, they're just the best. He yeah. uses the best and he's the best. So, in his ear is so scary good. Yeah, he can hear the littlest change, and it's in in when I know, like knowing that somebody has that good of an ear 
forces me to maybe go that much further in every little detail of it. Okay. Every little ride, every little breath, every, you know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, if you're I know sitting exactly. in the room with Paul McCartney, you're sweating and you're knowing he hears everything. It's the same thing with Kirk Franklin. You know he hears everything. You just, you know. You don't like try and distract him during a playback? No. <laughs> that wouldn't work. Hey, Kirk, catch this. Exactly. <laughs> no. uh, no, in well, fact, in, in the other thing, interestingly, you say how do the vocals sound good, but there's so many things that go into it. And one of the other things is that your lines are lighting up. Wow. The, um, you know, is that when someone is, treats you that well, it's almost like the underlying drive is you really want to do a great job for the person. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, come on, that you don't give less to some clients and more to no, others. But, but no, no, but let's be honest. If someone is really... Um, it's like anything else. Uh, if you didn't love me so much, you wouldn't have me back, right? That's right. And if you have a dog who, you know, bites you when you feed him, you give him less food. You know, it's like, it's just, I hate to be that way, and I don't mean like that. But when somebody is so over-the-top nice, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, wow, you know, you just, it's just that extra little thing. And, you know, you try to do it every day, but that's just, I guess... I, I guess it's just part of the way I, I think the ball bounces. I mean, it's just one of those things that he's just like the nicest guy and you want to do extra. And it's like, wow, you'll stay the extra hour. You won't complain. You, if you're hungry, you don't say anything. It's like all of that stuff. And then, you know, not that that happens, but, you know, you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. Uh, I'm still amazed by the background vocals on that record. I mean, yeah. they, they immediately... was a lot of compression. Not a lot of compression, not a lot of effects. Wow. It was more like rides and attention to the detail of the actual tone of, this, of, the, of the tracks. Well, make sure you listen. Um, the song is called Wanna Be Happy, Kirk Franklin, 45 Weeks at Number One. Check it out after the show. Listen to the background vocals. I mean, you know... I put it on and I had to keep listening over and over just going you know what it is you can pick out every voice in the stack it sounds like you can reach out and touch each of them on the forehead they're individual people that are perfectly blended into a group but they're people it's not like when you hear the Eagles which are some of the best background vocals I think ever in the business the blend is so perfect and silky smooth that you don't hear the individuals as much as you did on this record I I don't know just amazing work with the Eagles thank you very kind the Eagles in groups like that it does start with the voice though yeah I mean you can't polish a turd well the way a great singer is going to deliver the vocal really makes a huge difference and then if there's a nice microphone a decent preamp and a compressor it's rec- recorded properly. That all makes a huge difference to me. And then when I get it in the mix, it means, I guess <clears throat> the best way I could say it is I would have to spend less time fixing stuff because it's recorded good and there's no, you know, clicks and pops to fix right. or, you know, um, boominess and, you know, whatever Headphone noise. Leakage yeah. And- yeah, and when it's recorded that Kicking well... Kicking spinach out of their teeth during, in between lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or beepers going off in the old days. That was a good one. <laughs> the, um, or cell phones ringing. If you don't have to spend the time cleaning stuff up, then you can spend more time, really, uh, working on the sonic and you know emotional part of the performances. Um, it worked on that record. I'm just blown away. So, hello, everybody. So, today, what we're going to do 
is we've got 10 songs. We're going to play the songs. A couple people had specific questions about their mix, but we're basically going to try and, and go fairly quickly without uh, spending too much time on any one song. But we're going to have you review the mix and say what sounds good, what doesn't sound as good, what they can do as a, you know, here's how you might fix that problem. So before we go to that, you mentioned yeah. doing a mixing piece at, at the, the Taxi Road Rally. Yes, these guys, uh, and on the forum and emails, I've gotten several, not several, many people have asked for Rob to do an advanced mixing class because he generally will do like a beginner's mixing thing or intermediate. Mm -hmm. So this year you're going to do what? That's the question. Should we do a, a, an advanced mixing that's what people want. They're asking um, for something that is like, okay, uh, I know what I'm doing with my home studio. Now make me as good as you are. Want to kick it up a level? Yeah. Kick it up a notch? Yeah. We can do that. Let's think about how we can pull that off. So any suggestions? I don't know. I'll, I'll be in the ballroom and you and Ron will be in the 200-seat <laughs> theater. You figure it out. No, I don't know. I mean, any taxi members have anything, how can we set up some suggestions or ideas? Like, I wouldn't mind taking somebody's mix from taxi and working it and talking through it. Or All right. How about if I post a thing up on our forum and let people put links to their stuff and uh, then you can pick one to work with? Yeah, but they got to be at the rally, though. We got to make sure the person is going to be there. Ooh, okay. That's so that's fair. what we'll do is is pick five. Okay. And then I'll contact the five people, and if they say they're going to be there, they don't show up, then we're coming to your house, and we're going to hurt you. We're going to have to hurt you. <laughs> okay, so we'll pick a few, and we'll uh, yeah, we'll roll up our sleeves and really get into it. That sounds like I I mean I'd enjoy that if they would. That's fine. All right. That sounds no, they're good. asking for it, and in several different venues. So. Okay. Um, cool. All right, here we go. We are going to listen, as I said, to 10. And I'm going to mention the names today because we're not judging the songs. So I don't think anybody's feelings will be hurt. I think that uh, we're just talking about mixed stuff. So um, breaking with tradition. This is a song called High, as in H-I-G-H, by Duncan Monk. Let's go, Duncan. I got it. Enough? 
on. That sounded really good. All right. And, so uh, we're just firing away? Uh, yeah, although let's listen longer than the next one just because I've only got 10. I thought that we, we would go quick but not this quick. So, uh, Well, I'm going to forget if I am. Okay, much. so Duncan Monk is actually a guy named Peter Harper, and he uh, told me in the chat room he wanted you to know that. So, Peter, nice work. Yeah, lay it on him. So intro, that panning thing, if they can hear that. Can they hear that stuff? Maybe Honestly, not. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Okay, so real cool panning thing at the intro. I really liked that. That was real cool. And um, so right away when the vocal came in, I couldn't hear the first couple of words. I'd like to hear that. So generally, bring out the words that maybe seem like throwaway words. So don't just set a level and let it cruise. Actually, That's like we were right. talking about before, ride those babies up. Bring ride, ride, vocal rides and levels. That's an important thing. It, I don't mean throw a compressor on it and mash it. I'm not saying to do that. Like ride the vocal. If if a if a lyric is too quiet, bring it up a little bit. If it's too loud, bring it down. It's a lost art. So, it is. You have to ride the vocal. You have to take a minute. <laughs> it could take an hour. It could take two hours. Yeah, but now it's automated, time. so you can inch your way through it. You know, ride yeah. it. Yep, you can. Yeah. You can you can go inch by inch and uh, really get that vocal to sit nicely in the mix. And that was generally my my really only big critique is that, especially with rap, you have a relationship when there's a rap and a singing part. That relationship between the vocal and the track like that's super important. Mm -hmm. So for this, I would have turned the vocals generally down except for the first couple of words and brought the drums way up, and I would let the the you know the the um, the artist and the in the performance the singer sit inside the track a little more a little bit more i'm going to go back and listen to a little bit of it with that stuff in mind okay uh one thing i thought that was kind of cool was he's got a very uh 1993 grunge vocal approach um kind of Kirk Cobain thing going on vocally so i'm going to play the song again uh from the top for a few seconds and what we're, what we're looking for is Goosing the vocals on the first line or so, and then putting the vocals back down into the mix a little bit, uh, as per Rob's suggestion. and all that stuff is really done very well. I think the vocal takes over a little too much, I think. Okay. Uh, there we go. 
How are we doing on bandwidth, guys? I guess we're up and we're good. Uh, for some reason, it likes the low bandwidth setting, even though there is no pressure on the medium bandwidth setting. Weird. Anyway. I see CB72. That might be Chandler on there. Any chance that's Chandler? You know, he's a doctor now. i got to start calling him Dr. Michael. Wow. Where do you see him? Is that a C and a B and a 72? Oh, yeah. Wow. Hey, Chandler. <laughs> All right, so let's move on. We've got another one to listen to. Actually, we've got nine more to listen to. This one is called Nothing to Prove by Craig Robart. And let's have a listen. EDM. Baby, I'm gonna run a little longer. SSL fade when you set it to zero. <laughs> all right, again, the, the bandwidth, it's amazing. I've got it set on low. We've got all green lights. Everything is good. We're only using 8% of my CPU. Everything is good. And yet people are saying they're getting frozen. Shouldn't you go high on the bandwidth? No, it, it's how much this is asking for. Okay. Yeah. Louder uh, is better, though. Loud is good. And Just up saying. is loud. Up is loud. That's right. That was cool. That, that record, to me, all the balances sounded really good. I'd, I'd kick the drums up a little bit. The biggest thing that struck me was, other than the cool vocal tone, and there was some nice effects in there, is that the, the mix sounds small because there's no bottom end in it. It seemed really thin on the bottom. Did you hear that? I did. Uh... And mastering can only help so much. I mean, that needs a ton of bottom end, and especially an EDM that... that type of music you got to feel the bottom and it, it needs a lot let's check it for a second
I'll tell you, it's, a lot of people ask me, how do you get the bottom end right? That's something we got to talk about at the road rally. How do you get the bottom end right? Yep. And I will tell you a secret. I don't know if it's so much of a secret, but <laughs> most of the keyboards these days, right, when yeah. you have a bass sound in there, it sounds pretty darn good. Like these days, it sounds pretty good. And if you plug in a good Fender jazz bass or precision bass, into a Neve preamp or something decent, even directly into your interface. If you don't mess with it, it sounds pretty close. It might need a little here or there, but it doesn't need miles of low end and tons of EQ generally. It generally sounds pretty good. So well, the more you mess with it, the worse it can get if you're not careful. You know what I mean? You add a little yeah. bass, then you get added bass to something else, and you get add bass to something else, and then something else sounds a little smaller, and then you get uh, it becomes this snowball effect. So simple is best. Less can be more. For I sure. was just having this conversation with uh, Bria, our producer, before we before he got here, and we went on the air. We were talking about reverb because somebody asked a question about reverb on song number nine, and. I said, you know, nowadays reverb sounds so good, the presets sound so good that you basically have to just decide, do you want a room or do you want a plate? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like the minute you start messing with it, you're asking for trouble. Anyway, getting back to the discussion on the bottom end of the song in particular, uh, you and I've had this discussion before where a lot of it is the parts. Yeah. And this was very legato, bottom two or three layers of bass. It sounded like a growly, edgy synth, another synth underneath it. So you tend to lose the boom, boom, you know, of bass, the bass notes locking with the kick drum, which is always the easiest way to make the bass sound more apparent, I think. And uh, I think a lot of it was due to the arrangement on that one. Hmm. Just an observation. Okay. I'm so sorry about this. Uh, you know, if this never happens when I do a show by myself. It's whenever I have a guest here. It's like, what can Ustream do to embarrass me? It's but there's two people, so it takes twice more as bandwidth. Much. That, you know, I should have figured that out. That's own. why I'm an engineer. <laughs> and we can't call maintenance. That's the best part about working in, a, you know, in like a real studio is you just hit the the button on the phone. Maintenance, get in here. Got a problem. Got a problem. Fix yep. it up. Time to eat that Philly cheesesteak while you're fixing the console. Okay. Uh, Rob, uh, would you use some side chaining between the bass drum and the bass? You know, in dance music, that's a pretty common thing, the side chain. Uh, and there are a lot of plugins that'll do that easily for you and put it right in rhythm. Uh, so, what I. I don't do it too much, you know. I'll tell you what, I don't do a ton of that. And, but I don't do a lot of dance uh, remixes anymore. Those days, yeah, I've left those behind in my youth. The, uh, but it is common. A lot of people do use it. I don't do too much of it. Uh, but it's cool. It's a cool technique for sure. We uh, had a taxi member that was doing an EDM mix on the show probably five or six weeks ago, and he sidechained almost everything in there. It's definitely part of the sound. And I find it ironic that the, the sidechaining kills the attack on so much of what's in there, and they do that so that mm -hmm. the stuff that they want the attack to be apparent, you know, really comes through. But And it creates yeah. a whole nother feel, too, when you take out those, you know, if the kick hits and the bass, you know, Scoops, ducks. Yeah. Uh, that's cool, man. It's a cool sound, and it's in a lot. It's done very well, and to you know, to great success these days. 
So it's definitely something to check out if you haven't tried it. All right, let's move on while the bandwidth is happy. Uh, this is called Here I Am by Mikhail Gunaris. And he says, I've been struggling with the kick drum, not making it over clicky, but still trying to penetrate the mix. So we will listen to that in particular, as well as everything else. Here we go. This is called Here I Am. Here I Am by Mikhail Gunaris. Hope I got that name right. Gunaris. How do you spell that? G-U-N-N-E-R-A-S with a little accent over the A. But it's an unusual accent. It's like a little circle dude. Anyway, uh, what'd you think? I liked it. I thought it sounded really good. The balances were right on the money. Uh, kick, tick, click, whatever that was. <laughs> the kick. Doesn't, that, I gotta tell you, yes, there's importance to, you know, the attack and the body of the kick. There is, you know, not to minimize that, but if I heard that, it wouldn't bother me at all. It sounded fine. And I got the idea of the song. It, it worked well. I think, again, that it needs more bottom end. It seemed a little thin to me, and I would just crank up the bottom end. And I think a lot of these things, you know, it's interesting. When mixes are overly bright and thin, you hear all the imperfections. You really do. Like the top end is what my ear gets drawn to. If there's, you know, spit in the voice, you hear it if it's overly bright. Mm -hmm. And uh, this mix, I feel like it's the same idea. My biggest comment would be, uh, you know, put some more bottom end in that. You know, overall. It's almost as though, you know, maybe the mastering guy could actually do the trick on this one maybe the monitoring room is not quite right I don't know 
but I think overall the balances were good. Could use some bottom end. Really good use of compression and effects, and the arrangement seemed good. Nothing got in the way. Um, the kick drum, who cares, man? Yeah, even when the drums were relatively in the clear, I thought they sounded pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah, just I'd warm up that, that mix, and it's a record. I'm, uh, I'm sure I've talked about this on a previous show, probably one that we were on together, but in the early days when I started getting confidence sitting behind a console, I would do, uh, I, in retrospect, I called it Chasing 5K. Mm. Uh, <laughs> everything, it's like, ah, oh, I don't hear 5K enough. 5K as in terms of money? or you No, 5K <laughs> in terms of the frequency. Um, I, I tended to boost a lot of 5K, sometimes 4.3, because that's where the detent was on the console, uh, MCI console I had at the time. But um, MCI 500? Is that what it was? Uh, yeah, it was 500 series. And uh, yeah. if I didn't hear something, and I, and I remember reading in an article, you know, top end adds apparent loudness. Well, pretty soon you add 5K to the acoustic guitar, and now the snare sounds like it needs a little top end. So yep. you add a little 5K there and go, okay, snare sounds good. And then the vocals, the background vocals, oh, they're not really popping through. So you add a little 5K there, and before you know it, the whole mix is bright up around 5K, and you lose the bottom <laughs> end because your ear is drawn to that stuff that's apparently loud. Right, and the easiest, what I found, um, you know, it's interesting, I have a, a good friend of mine, his name is Dave Way. He's like a Hall of Fame uh, mix engineer. Maybe. No way. Yeah. Way? Sorry. Very funny. <laughs> and he once said, um, you know, that he takes frequent breaks when he's mixing. Mm -hmm. And I do also. And I always was concerned that I take too many breaks. And, you know, we talked briefly many years ago, and he said, no, you know, more breaks you take, it's just, it, it reveal, mixes reveal itself. So rather than take the credit for that idea, I'm going to credit him. And when you're mixing, take breaks. Yeah. You mix for 15, 20 minutes, take a few minutes, walk away, come back a couple minutes later. Because your ears, you know, need to settle often. Mine do. And when I come back to the record and I hear something, it reveals itself. It's like, how did I miss that? And then, bam, one second later, it's a hundred times better. But if I continuously listen over and over, it begins to sound familiar and right, mm -hmm. even if it's off. So, uh, and that's true whether it's, it's especially true, I would say, when you start to boost the high end, you get fatigued, your ears start to hear things that aren't there, and the next thing you know, your mix is completely you know, way too bright. Uh, how loud do you listen when you uh, work? How, how loud is what we're doing here That's today? about the level that I will mix at. Okay. Maybe even a little bit quieter. Interesting. I have two levels of mixing. One, 90% of when I'm doing the real mixing, meaning the details, you it's no louder than you can hear me speak. It's, it's probably less than this. And what kind of monitors do you use? Yamaha NS10s. And then everyone's going to say they suck. Well, okay. <laughs> they suck so find much, everybody likes them. Find something you like and learn them to death. Like, you got to learn and understand your instrument. It's no different than a guitar. The monitors are an important thing. But I listen quietly 90% of the time. And then, when I want to really feel if I've, if I've got it, then I'll crank it up, but I won't listen for like extended periods at a loud level. For years, I thought that my better ear, because hardly anybody has two ears that hear identically, and I used to lean in with my left ear when I was looking for detail, and now that I'm over 60, 
my left ear is probably 10% less good because I blew it out. Don't like that. It's amazing. If I snap my fingers in front of my face, I can hear it more out of my right ear. I can hear the top end out of my right ear, but not out of the left ear. So I don't think I'll be mastering any records anytime soon. All right, moving on. Uh, Let's listen to one called Give Me Love by Jack Hayward. Um, I, I wonder if this is the Jack Hayward I know. Jack, if it's you. All right, uh, number four, give me love. simple. What I got right here. Peter's era arrangement. Great mind sticker that's cool. Beatle era arrangement, really cool. I think I hear some subs under there, like the low 808 I heard a couple of spots. But by and large, same thing. Give me a little more drums and bass, baby. You know, those low mids and the drums. I, I would say with a record like that, if I was mixing that song, you know what I would have? I would have um, probably some 
Abbey Road era Beatles record like right there with me like to use it out. as a reference yeah and just hearing what the vibe really is you know because you know let's face it everything we do is in some way derivative of the Beatles right so uh, and others of course but in this particular case I would say geez you know how did they treat Ringo's drums you know and believe it or not you know that they were a lot more present uh, than than you might remember them, at least for me that way. And the bass, of course, too. Using that Hofner bass and that tone that he had was pretty round and big and cool. It didn't have a lot of real true bottom in the Hofner, but the, the, yeah, it, was it was very big. present. Yeah, it was a big sound. It really, there's something about that, that bass with the flat wound strings, huh? and I love it. In fact, last night I went to see the Fab Four, the Beatles trip. Oh, they band. were playing at the club out by our house? They were at uh, the Starlight Bowl, right? uh, and they were rocking, man. They were awesome. They nailed it. Anyway. Uh, yeah, thanks for calling me. <laughs> you know, man? You Call me any time you're going to see the Fab Four. They're a Beatles tribute band. They've got to be one of the best ever. The, uh, you know, the compression can be a bottom-end killer, too. It yeah. really can. Compression, be careful about over-compressing stuff. Um, it immediately sounds pleasing, but, you know, it does, it is a dangerous weapon, you know, compression. Uh, I think that, um, and it's a great tool, of course, but, yeah, drums and bass up, and, uh, and if, there's one other record that uh, I've been listening to a lot lately, and it's the uh, Tommy Dr James and the Shondells, it's a song called Crimson and Clover. Oh my God. You know that right Yeah, now? absolutely. Oh my God. I can listen to that song all day, every day, because of the genius song, the writing, the arrangement, the panning. Every decision they made is so clever. The bass is on the right and the kick drum's on the left, and they got this <laughs> vocal going through a vibrato in the middle, and it's all of this cool stuff. But it's warm and it's full and it sounds cool, man. And I would say to uh, what, what's. What's the uh, writer's name? Uh, this was Jack Hayward. Jack, check out that record. Break out your old Abbey Road CD. Vinyl if you have it, but CD's cool. And uh, check out that bottom end and see if you can't, you know, you know, learn something there, I think. Let's talk about reference records for a minute. Uh, reference songs, records, whatever. Um, okay. I got a million of them. The, here's the issue. Um, people will pick something they love, they're very familiar with. I used to use Steely Dan's Asia. Anytime I went into a room that was new to me, I would use that because I knew exactly what it should sound like, and I could judge the monitors and, and adjust what I was mixing accordingly. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is, as time has moved on, styles change, mixing styles change, um, gear change. That changes. record will still sound great. Which one? Asia? Yeah, all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it sounds great. But... Earth, Wind, and Fire, Michael Jackson. Beatles. Inner Visions, yeah, Stevie that. Wonder, one of the great records to judge monitors by. But when you listen to that or, stuff... Or that, arrangements, or singing, yeah. or you know, anything else. <laughs> Best clavinet sound in the entire world. Yeah, but all of these, that's why they're great, because it's not just the sound of it. You never buy a record really because of right. the sound. It's because the way the whole thing works together, right? So I find that when I go back, um, sometimes after work, I'll sit in here and I'll, I'll whip out, uh, I've got the Bee Gees Greatest Hits and I'll put it on and listen to it nice and loud and just love it. But then if I put on something contemporary, 
the styles are so different now that even though my monitors are right and I know what they should sound like when I listen to the new stuff it does sound pretty mid-rangey very compressed the dynamics are practically nil so I don't know that I could use you know Steely Dan or, or Stevie Wonder if I were to go into a you know a nice room with a Neva and SSL and want to check the monitors I don't know if that works anymore maybe it does I guess the I monitors are the monitors of the monitors and you have to adjust your mixing style to today's taste because you, you wouldn't know, want to make a record that sounds like intervisions sure i would <laughs> yeah. if i could i would let me tell you if i can make intervisions or abby road or any of that stuff i certainly would would it sound i would make sinatra in strings i would make sinatra in bassy i would go back and i would do you know uh, bobby darren i would certainly do any of those records if i could I've got a fun session for you to do someday. I've got an old client of mine from 35 years ago in Florida named Carrie Hoffman that does a Sinatra tribute that's about as good as um, the Fab Four doing the Beatles tribute. Let's go. Let's bring out the real mics and do it. Yeah. The next time he does wants to record something, we got to do a road trip to Florida and spend a weekend with that dude. Let's go. I yeah. love Florida. Let's do it. And we'll make him pay for all the string players and stuff. All right. <laughs> and we'll go fishing. Naturally. Yeah, we'll go fishing when it's all done. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Uh, next up, we have Yellow Cake by Cass McKenty. Um, love the cake. title, Yellow Cake. And I'm guessing you're not talking birthdays, right, Cass? <laughs> all right, here we go. This is Yellow Cake. thing was perfect and uh, I can't tell because my back's too I sounded like it was a mono delay and I'm like yeah that was really wicked <laughs> and the, the arrangements right the sound choices are right the vocals killer you know perfect wow Cass right. you got an A dude got an A plus on that one I wouldn't change a thing 
Good job. Really good. Uh, I'd like to give a little shout out. I saw Treble Tone uh, said something about Snook Season. Anybody who even knows what Snook Season is, is somebody I need to do a road trip with. Well, fishing trip with. Um, yeah. My favorite kind of fishing. Snook fishing. And tarpon. Um, okay. Yeah, that was pretty incredibly wonderful. Um, it sure was. That was nice. Had uh, is that an LA person? Uh, yeah, actually, he doesn't live too far from here. I believe he might be in the valley, oh, and okay. and I've seen pictures of his uh, studio on our send me his info. That was yeah. worth something there. He's got a really did a really cool um, wood treatment on the walls in the studio. Hmm. Cass McKenty, there he is. He's smiling. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Polly says, in the smoke season, one of the four California seasons. Earthquake, mudslides, and fire. Yeah, sadly. All right. Uh, yeah, that was really, really good, Cass. Okay, this one is called Wherever We Are. It's by John Lewitt. And am I on the right one? Yes, I am. Here we go.
Okay. Yeah. What'd you think? You know, right from the start, I thought, wow, really nice voice, you know. And then you start listening to the voice and pay attention to the song, and you think, well, that's pretty cool. And that's what a good mix is, really. It just <laughs> brings you into the song. The it started out with the female voice, right? Yeah, and then the yeah. guy came in, which surprised me what it was good. Um, and then, you know, the only thing that struck me through that, again, is maybe more bass, more drums, a little more bottom end. Uh, but I could hear everything, and it, feel, it felt pretty good. Um, DS the vocals. Mm -hmm. Did you notice the little uh, mm -hmm. sibilance maybe in there? Could, could, could do a little air. Um, other than that, that's about it. I have a, a, an arrangement comment. Okay. Because I hear it a lot in demos that I get. And that is that one of the things that um, will make a song sound maybe older than it is, is the voicings of the chords. And oftentimes I hear the major seven voicing in root position. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure the key this was in, but if it was major seven, a C, E, G, B, in that order, C, E, G, B, that voicing is really straight out of 1975 as far as pop music goes, right? These days the voicing would be a little bit different. It would sound modern if you left out the fifth, if you left out the G. How does somebody learn that stuff? You've got to listen to the way folks are crafting today. A lot of times, instead of going um, a very simple chord progression in musical terms would be what they call a one, six, two, five, one. That would be a C, A minor, D minor, G, C. So if you had that chord progression, it's, it's you know, um, dum -da dum -da dum -da dum dum everybody heard that song, everybody plays that piano part, you know. Instead of voicing every note in the chord, like for the C chord it would be C, E, G, and for the A minor it would be A, C, E, and for the D minor it would be D, F, A, and for the G it would be G, B, D, okay? Mm -hmm. These days, most folks are focusing on the movement of the bass, and that's been the way it has, you know, for a while now. So you might keep the C, E, G in the in the C chord, and then you're just going to move the bass to the A. Then you're going to move the bass to the D, and you might keep the common tone of an E throughout each change. So it gives it a more open feel because not every note is being played on every instrument. It, you're you're not be beating them over the head with the harmonic movement. Mm -hmm. It's implied more than it's stated. And the result is kind of airiness and openness and yeah that you could describe well that. or it leaves room for other stuff i think it leaves a little more room to the imagination and i think that in a lot of the music today whether in all genres hip-hop country music pop you name it uh this is you know an important part of the arrangement is is what you don't play in the chord I think I'm more aware of it when I listen to country. I can't imagine, I'm trying to hear it in my head uh, in, a, in a rap song and I can't, or in an EDM song, but I certainly hear it in country and singer-songwriter stuff where, or even in versions. That's a, yeah, a, a, it's a big deal. Yep, inverting a chord. Um, if a lyric 
Let's say the third chord coincides with a lyric that's sad, depressing, a little down. Mm -hmm. Sometimes inverting the chord tells that story. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah exactly. Because Where you put it is important. Yeah. There's a song, um, everybody knows this song called Price Tag, right? You know, major smash a few years ago. And the chords are, um, I'm going to write this down and make sure I don't mess it down. I mess it up. I think it's F, A minor, D minor, and B flat. And if you play it traditionally, like a guitar player might, down in the bottom of the neck, it sounds dated. Mm -hmm. But if you play it the way they play it, which is up almost an octave higher, the F is an F. Same normal voicing, but the A minor is like a C chord over an A in the bass. Okay? Mm -hmm. And then the D minor is voiced high and it's out of the way of the voice. So it, uh, it, it accompanies it in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. And the same with the B flat chord. So when they, the simple movement of the bass line and having the vocal in the middle in, in this song, the voicing of the guitar on top, creates a different feeling than if it's the bass and then the guitar and then the voice, right? It's, and it would affect your EQ settings, it would affect that where would, it's of a, the mix, would affect your compression, all that stuff. Yeah, and I, I'm simplifying it because we're on, you know, taxi TV here and I'm, you know, I'm not going to score out the right. <laughs> arrangement, but the idea is exactly what you said, the, the, the voicings, the inversion of the chords, where they're played, makes a big difference really does really really does um do you know who hookman is marlon bonds i know the name uh he's had some hits with jason derulo uh, great guy um he at the hawaii music festival this year or hawaii songwriters festival they did kind of a vh1 storytellers thing and he played a song that they had pitched to christina and I think she ended up not doing it, and they were just bothered that it just, it was like, sounded like a hit, but there was something wrong with it, mm -hmm. and then they were pitching it to somebody else, I can't remember who, or maybe they originally pitched it to Selena Gomez, I don't know, but in any case, what they did was they just simply changed the key, and the bass part, he played the before and after, nothing more than a key change. But the bass part became so much more important and made the song so much more poppy and dancey because of where the bass was because of the key change. And it was like a, a major revelation to everybody in the room. It's like, wow, I should do that on every song I write. I should try it. You know, in another the key, key is definitely important. Yeah. Right? But, you know, you know, they heard it one way and lived with it that way for weeks or months. And then all of a sudden, just you know, moving it up a half step or something. Just like, it was so it's a, immediate. It's a big deal. Yep. It's a big deal. The key is a big deal. In fact, most guys, when, most producers, when they go in the studio with the singer, the very first thing they do, assuming they have some arrangement sketched out, is find the right key mm -hmm. that works best. So you're pushing it when you need to, and you're not when you shouldn't be. Make sure it sits right with the voice, I and mean, that's a huge part of it. And, you know, especially in pop music, the key, where the bass sits is so critical. 
nowadays we have speakers that can go down to the subs, right? And it really, it's it's important to know, you know, that in a club is hugely important. So a, an E on an electric bass, a regular bass, is 40 hertz, mm -hmm. right? So an octave below that is 20. That's the bottom of the hearing. I know someone out there is going to say, well, no, it's actually 83 point, yeah, hey. I know, I got you, 82 point <laughs> something, or 81 or whatever, but using round numbers, <laughs> the E is an 80 and a, and, uh, a 20, so, so if you know the math of waves, so if that's an E, then a B would be one and a half times, so a 30 is a B. Right? Okay. So right around there, that's where you really get the money, you know, when you think about it. That's the money, the B, the C, the D, and that's just under an electric base at 40. And that's really your low limit, absolute low limit for that tone is that A and a B and a C. And once you start hitting the D and the C, that's the money. So there. So this leads to an obvious question. Uh, do you mix with a subwoofer? No. Generally not. But and when I blast it, there might be one, yeah, in the studio. So this is an issue that I have as somebody who no longer sits behind consoles, but certainly understands what goes on in these rooms, is if you're mixing with a sub and you're going to hear a bottom that you wouldn't hear without it, um, how does that relate to the real world? Because, you know, you don't have a sub in your car, although... Car systems, even though they've become much better and more complex and fancier over the years, it's hard for me to get into somebody's car. Maybe it's just they don't set it up right. The car stereos don't sound that good to me anymore, even though they're like really nice Bose systems. But just, you know, having a little too much in the rear, a little too much in the front can really mess with it. So mm. what's your theory on mixing with subs? You know. The thing is, is when I started mixing, that's right when subs started to really come in. It's they came, started to come into play, and it took me a minute to adjust. And when I started mixing, that's when NS10s were in every room. Mm -hmm. So I learned the NS10, I mean intimately. I don't remember, if you, if you remember my old Honda, I had NS10s in the back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my first car I ever had. I had NS10s in my, you know, apartment. I have NS10s in my home studio. I had NS10s in my studio on Kawanga and Hollywood Boulevard. I had studio everywhere I went were NS10s because I wanted to learn that, the sound of that speaker. I wanted to know it inside and out. I wanted to know what it was telling me. And over the years, I've gotten more and more acquainted with it, as you can imagine. 30 years later, I got a sense for it, right? Mm -hmm. And if I had switched monitors every year for every new thing that came out, I wouldn't have a clue, right? So I understand what that one does, and that gives me most of what I want. And if I'm listening at low volumes, I can hear what's happening. Now, if it's working there, and I switch to aritones or something, and it's working there, and I switch to the subs on the main speakers, and it's working there, it's working. It's easy. I don't second guess that. It either feels great and it sounds great or it doesn't. And oftentimes it might sound good on the NS10s. And then when I go to the main monitors, something reveals itself. 
I could never mix exclusively on the mains. Yeah. So for me, having that option helps me identify the bottom end and scope it out a little bit better. But remember the big tannoys in uh, yep. my room at Howie's with the twin fifteens, and they sounded so good, but they weren't accurate at all. They just sounded amazing. It's they, all what you know, though. Yeah. If you knew them, right? And you did. You do great work on them, but if I didn't know them, I wouldn't. I'd be looking and searching for stuff that to make it sound like what I was accustomed to. Were you the client in the room with me the night that I blew the front panel out of one of them? They, I wouldn't remember that. I don't think so. Don't blame me for that. <laughs> Tannoy, I don't think so. Tannoy gave me a pair of these giant <laughs> monitors um, before they went to market with them. I was one of the test guys, and the seal holding on the faceplate that that the woofers, well, that everything sat in, cracked, and. <laughs> We're sitting there nice. listening with a bunch of people standing by. Thank God nobody was down in the pit in front of the console. The whole front of the speaker just came out and fell on the floor. And because the wires were attached to the back of the cabinet, it took mm -hmm. the cabinet with it like a split second later. It was dangerous. But they right. loved you for that. Yeah. I called them the next day yelling at them, what kind of crap are you giving me? They make good stuff, though. They do. They, I, I love the little tamales, but they sound too pretty. So the moral of the story is get to know those monitors, whatever they are, right? Get yeah. to know them intimately, really, really, really well. Absolutely. Yeah. No argument. All right, we are now going to listen to Do You Know by Kevin Smith.
And the verdict is? I love it. Sounds good. A couple of things that come to mind when I heard that. And that is that um, I thought the drums were overcompressed and too low. I love the drums. I think they should be brought up. More bass, too. Drums and bass. Drums and bass. I like drums and bass. All right. <laughs> but here's what I found is that, um, uh, and this goes for everything, really. This is like a global Rob thought. A global Rob thought. It okay. is. It is. In our quest, like in our search for volume, because everyone wants their record to be hot. Um, what happens is, I think a lot of folks uh, fall into the trap of adding an L1 or some kind of fast attack limiter. And what that does is it kills those transients. If you're not careful, it clips them. And, and that compression gives you, a, it, initially it gives you a false sense that it's louder, but it really, it does add something, but something is also lost. So, um, be careful if you're in this one. It sounds like the drums are being uh, bandwidth is low again. Bandwidth. When I was getting to the point, of course. Uh, tune in next time for the point. Uh, it, it's still rolling. It's just low. Okay. Come on, you string. You're it killing. Is. It's back. It's back. Okay. All right. Uh, so. Talking about the bottom, bass and drums. Yeah, bass drums. You know, t you know. It's funny if you if you over compress the mix, you turn up the drums, and then it, you know, in order to get more overall volume, it tends to clip the drums and the vocal. But it's really obvious in the drums. It's the same thing if you're running the drums through an aux uh, or a bus or something, mm -hmm. right? You're compressing the whole drum kit or the drums, or if it's not a kit, if it's electronic drums. You know, in order to get the overall mix hotter, you're going to lose that, and that's a false sense of volume. It is. So, in I would say in this particular case, it sounds like the vocal, the uh, drums are overcompressed, and I would lighten that up. And I think that you can get away with just turning them up. You don't always have to compress them, and then turn them up. Like volume is a simple solution to stuff. When I, and I hate to put it in those terms, when I was in college, I studied jazz, and my jazz teacher, this brilliant guy named Vince Maggio, used to, when we were playing in the ensemble, he used to say, sound and balance. Okay, you know, we're all 20-year-old kids in jazz. What's the sound and balance? Is the ba ba He'd always ask the class, how was the balance? How was the sound of the bass? How was the sound of the piano? Was the drums in balance? Because this is and an you're talking about live thing. performance? Live performance. Okay. And he beat that into our heads. I guess that's why I mix records now, right? Sound and balance, sound and balance. So the first thing is sound and balance. It's not compression and EQ. Mm -hmm. It's like sound and balance. What is the sound? And let's work the balances first and make sure many, many things can be solved just by simply turning it up or down, right? Well, people want an easy answer. Uh, that's it, the I just gave it to you. Right. I hope we're still good on the bandwidth. Yeah, we are. <laughs> that's the secret. Pe people it's want, sound and balance. People want an easy answer rather than we, in the beginning of the show we talked about writing a vocal. But right, people vocal. will throw a compressor on it because that gets it out of the way. That's a problem that's solved in their minds. But it's a but problem they, that's created. Though. Yeah. Later on in the mix, it, right. it, it, when other stuff is added, 
the relationships change. Right, and the dynamics change. So yeah. you overcompress one thing, you're going to have to overcompress another. And if you want, you know, exact, it depends what you're going for, but I love compressors because the sound that they have. Mm -hmm. An 1176 has a sound, an LA3 or an LA2 or Fairchild, they have a sound. It's not just that it's going to level out. Uh, the pan with the slow pan, yeah, sorry. It's not just the leveling that it does. That's important, but they all have a sound or a character to them that's uh, pleasing. Uh, so, you know, looking for, you know, using a, a sledgehammer when a thumbtack on a, you know, a, a, on a spike is not necessarily the best thing. Maybe a thumbtack will do the job, you know. It's just a small thing. It's a game of inches to me, mixing. It's a game of inches. I tend to agree. Um, I think... You've mentioned before that you use very little EQ, that you you know record a lot of stuff flat. Uh, Everything flat. I, I was the opposite, but I grew up in a different era where you really had to work at it to make it sound good going to tape because a lot of the mics, ironically, a lot of the mics back then weren't that good, but now they're prized microphones. But, you know, yeah, whatever. I, well, I, well, I want to get know, to... It was, it was a whole different thing and a different sound at the time. For me, when I track a drum kit, it's just... Choosing the correct microphone and preamp and placing it correctly. And that should be 99% of the way there. Unless I'm going for something crazy, yeah. but just to capture the right sound. Or a singer, if I find I'm turning knobs and EQ and i got to compress the hell out of it, nah, something, something's wrong. Yeah, something's definitely wrong if I'm doing all that. Just put a gay GCM 87 in front of the singer, it'll sound good every time. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. All right, this one's called American Road by Benny Galoop or Galupe. I'm not sure. Sorry for butchering your name, Benny. Uh, this bandwidth thing today, I don't know what is going on. I'm so sorry, you guys. Out of my control. <laughs> Life is like a Georgia peach in my house, Pittsburgh is still a sweet. Life is like a Georgia peach, it is still a sweet. Been traveling down this road too long, been looking for you in every song. Don't know what I'd do without you, baby. And I just got the radio up. Tell you call me baby I just got the radio up The highway is my girlfriend But it's you who drives me crazy It's you who drives me crazy You drive me crazy, Michael Just saying Try to get to you I was like As I'm traveling down This American road It's getting me Is there no bass? Not even a bass part. Yeah. If I hold my breath and count to three, I would picture you right next to me. I would picture you all over me, all over me. Mr. Shirelli? 
Take it away. Turn up the instruments. <laughs> that's it. But, I know there's no bass in there, and that's cool. You don't have to have a bass. It'd be. I mean, I'm a bass player. I think everything has. To I would be worried bass, that if but, this made it to radio, it would sound hollow, weird, and empty because there's no bass in the song before it and the song after it had a bass. But that's just me. I worry about what other people think. <laughs> I don't. I know, but I do. I used to. <laughs> no, I guess that's a good point. You know, but uh, in terms of the mix of the song, I thought there were cool instruments. And the vocal was sitting way on top of them. I'd just bring those up, you know, and, and support the vocal a little more. There was a cool drum part. There's, you know, little tom-tom thing in there that I could hear in the back, which was really nice. Bring it out. Let's hear it, you know. And I, it, uh, I couldn't tell if the guitar was intentionally, you know, I mean, it had no bottom, no top. It yeah, was I thought just it was all cool. mid-range, and I think it was for effect. And I went, huh, that's a pretty it's original cool. sound. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's uh, totally cool. But sometimes I'm, I think like an old guy, and I wonder, was that a mistake, or was that uh, intended to be that way? But you can tell by the Come overall thing, it sounded intentional. And you're not an old guy, man. Well, I mean, old as far as, you know, my studio, the time I, the records I made were a long time ago. Yeah, but you hear shit every day. Yeah. And, and it's funny because um, hearing the music every day, is huge, hugely important thing to keeping you fresh, to what's really going. Age doesn't have, I don't think, one bit to do with it, frankly. I, I think that's one of the things that we kind of, you know, uh, self-effacing that way, right. maybe. But the, the reality is, is you hear music every day, you know, uh, and you know what's happening on the charts, and you know who the big artists are, and we stay in tune, and we're working in the business, and that keeps you fresh. And I think the reason to to mention that point is because oftentimes people say, oh, the, the music, you know, when I was growing up was this way or it was that <laughs> way. and So then shoes were different too. You know, so we're, we're changing, baby. And I, I think I love what's happening today. I love the music. I love the changes. I love the fresh ideas that are coming out. And if they don't want to use a bass, yeah, it's, it's a little bit weird. But you know what? Turn up the drums and let's decide. And then if we need a bass, right. we'll put a bass in there. That's the big thing that struck me about that. Obviously no bass, but hey, it might work really cool with turning up those drums. I don't know. And it might be a fresh thing. For me, the coolest thing about it was the melody and the attitude worked so well. Attitude and melody was f exactly yeah. so. <laughs> bass player? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It all starts with a song. Um, it ends with the song. I'm with you, baby. Yep. You could have a piss poor recording of a great song and it's still likely to be a hit. You could have an amazing recording of a mediocre song and it won't be. You know what? You know what? Great, great point. That's what I I love you, man. You always bring really? up good points. <laughs> Rob, listen I didn't know to, you cared. <laughs> listen to um not you, the viewers. Everybody. Yeah. Go listen to Imagine by John Lennon or Instant Karma. In your mind, you hear them in their sonic excellence. But when you play the record, anybody can critique those and say <laughs> the bass isn't right, or the piano isn't right, or the vocal sound is weird, or, you know, and listen to some Dylan records or something, and you'll find things we can always criticize and complain and suggest and do whatever, you know. But in the end, the, the real measure is, is the mix bringing out the best in the song 
Or isn't it? Does it serve the song? This bandwidth is killing me today. I hate you, history. <laughs> anyway, does uh, it serve the song? Yeah. It's all I million. agree. It's all it's about. And you're right. You'd need a legal pad for Bob Dylan if you were making notes about but that. But I, I love it. I love it. I, I, I'm, I love his stuff so much. Yeah. Captures and, the essence. Yeah. If you hear Rolling Stone, like a Rolling Stone, right? Great record. And when you, and I just feel like I'm in the room with those guys. And if I, like, I don't know how I would do that today. You know, if I could go back in time and ask the engineer, how did you do that? I, I don't, I would pay a fortune for that. But maybe if we heard that as a taxi demo, we might say, hey, you know, where's this sound? Or where's that sound? You know, so it's easy for us to sit behind the screen and, and say stuff, you know. But in the end, if the song comes across, like I thought that song came across, you know, pretty well. I was going back and forth with a, a friend of mine who's a taxi member who's in the audience tonight. <clears throat> Last night we were exchanging a few emails and he said, you know, you really should take six days off a year and go back in the studio just for your head. And I said, you know, someday when I retire, I'm going to spend go back into the studio and just make records that I want to make one of the things that I want to do and I think I mentioned it last night in the email is do records where everybody's in the room playing together and just take the same song and do three four or five passes till you get a take and you know when the magic happens and then just go in clean up the vocal and do a mix the next day of the song that's how those records are made that's how yeah. that is how those records were made Yep. Beatles would do a full album in a couple of days. Yeah, and they could, you know, they pulled it off pretty well, I'd say. At least in the early days, yeah. Um, okay, uh, we are up to number nine, and this is by Stephen Berua. It's called "Where the Sun Go When the Sun Goes Down." He wants to know how do you get that really top quality reverb sound that makes you go, "Wow, this sounds professional." Do you have any tips or tricks? So that may be a separate question from the song itself. Let's have a listen to "When the Sun Goes Down." When I gave you my love When I told you it's for keys It's not in days around 